Happy Tuesday, y'all. We have plenty to get to on today's installment of NSN Daily. That's Luke Hobson from Reno, Nevada. Reno high grad Luke Hobson racing for World Championship Hardware. How the current Texas Longhorn fared in Japan. Tuesday means we're diving into Chris Murray's mailbag. The latest burning questions from our viewers, including who Chris would like to see join Nevada in the Mountain West Conference. Jazz Johnson is taking his talents to a new team, but staying in the same country. We have the latest on his status. And with the 25th Barracuda Championship in the books, we rank the top five winners in the tournament's history. All that and more right now on NSN Daily. Well, hey there, friends, and welcome into our champion Chevrolet studio. He's Chris Murray. I'm Mike Stephenson, and you know what this is. It is NSN Daily on a Tuesday as we not so patiently await the start of fall camp down at Wolfpack Park, Chris. Yeah, that happens next Wednesday. A lot of Mountain West schools will get a jump because they have a week zero game. Nevada does not have that. But, yeah, we will be out there at Wolfpack Park starting next week. We may or may not have big news starting next <laughs> week as well, but that is a very deep tease that we can't talk more about right now, but just something to keep you excited. Okay, again, a lot to get to on the show today as we start things way far away from here over in Japan with the World Championship Swim and Diving wrapping up, representing Team USA. One Luke Hobson out of Reno High School set a personal record in the 200-meter freestyle to qualify for this morning's final it was a heck of a race. Hobson coming on strong at the end, ends up finishing fifth. So not on the podium as the UK goes one and two, Chris, but needless to say, this is a kid that's still in the middle of his college career and he's got a lot of international swimming in his future. Yeah, just 20 years old. He's only a sophomore, just finished up his sophomore season in Austin, Texas. It was a very close race. You saw Michael Richards of Great Britain win it. Thomas Dean and his teammate came in second. It was really a touch that won this race. Uh, Hobson was in the thick of things. I'm sure he's a little bit disappointed because you look at the semifinals, he had the second fastest time. It was the fourth fastest time ever for an American male. So he went in this knowing if he swam his best, he could win a world championship didn't quite swim his best a little bit slower than his semifinal time but the difference between first place and fifth place where Luke Hobson finished 0.77 seconds so you have to be almost perfect Luke wasn't quite perfect but still a great showing to finish top five in the world in the 200 meter freestyle and I feel like especially the freestyle is so uber competitive yeah. and you see him as a 20 year old competing with the best in the world so he went 145 0.09 yesterday to qualify, 144.7. So it was his first ever sub-145 time. So needless to say, I think Hobson, granted he doesn't come back with a medal, I think he still comes back with plenty of confidence. Yeah, and a lot of experience. I mean, yeah. swimming at this level, swimming for a world championship, the whole goal is to go to those Paris Olympics in 2024 next year and be able to come home with a medal. So now he's been on that stage. He knows what it's going to take. Uh, you also look at the fourth-place finisher, David Popovacci, from Romania. He had the fastest time in the semifinals. He finished in fourth place. He faded a little bit toward the end as well. So probably learns your lesson on how much do you want to unreal right. and unspool during the semifinals.
finals knowing you do have one more race to go. But he knows that he is in that mix now. And if he just goes out there and he continues to get better, which we've seen through his uh, first two years in college, that he could legitimately go out and win an Olympic medal. We obviously saw Krista Palmer on the diving side win a bronze medal in the Tokyo Games 2021. We could have another Olympian coming home with the medal because Luke Hobson is that good. He's won five NCAA championships, including four golds during his first two years at Texas. That is the best program in the country. He wanted to challenge himself by going to that program. And certainly you've seen those gains be made. And he is on the right trajectory to go into Tokyo or go into Paris and then even 2028 in Los Angeles and be one of the world's fastest swimmers. But you're right, that freestyle is definitely dog eat dog. Dog eat dog for sure as you see him winning the 500 freestyle at the NCAA championships. I mean, technically this is the off season for Luke Hobson, of course, <laughs> as he represents the uh, Texas Longhorns. But you mentioned it already five golds as a college kid, and he's still got another half of his career should he want to complete four years there. Yeah, I mean, the 200, the 500, both on the freestyle, he won NCAA gold, and then he also won 400 medley relay with Texas NCAA gold. So this is a guy who's a freestyle specialist. He'll probably be making the 200, maybe the 500 in the next Olympics, probably be on a four by 200 meter yeah. relay team as well. So he should have a few bites at the apple when they do get to the Olympics at the next uh, level. Uh, we've seen a lot of really good swimmers come through Northern Nevada, but none as good as Luke he is the best swimmer to come out of the Reno Sparks area. Brian Redderer had a tremendous career, a Sparks High graduate, swam for Stanford and set a number of college records as well. But to be able to do it, you see these marks get better year in and year out. You go back a couple years ago, Luke Hobson's swim would have been enough to win the 200 at the Worlds, but it just gets harder and harder and you have to get better and better. He certainly has that swimmer frame, really broad shoulders, been doing it for a long time. Lake, uh, Lake Ridge Swim Club is where he did his training. So we give out the Reno High affiliation and that's where he went to high school. But a lot of the tutoring he got from right. uh, Sharon Weiss and uh, you know their great crew over there at Lake Ridge. So I'm really proud to see him finish in the top five. Uh, like I said, I'm sure a tinge of disappointment. He doesn't come home with one of those, a medal. Um, <laughs> but I do think this is a guy who's going to win some world championships and some Olympic medals before it's all said and done. Again, 20 years old, can't even legally get a drink. That's the thing. He's out there in Japan competing against the world's best. You mentioned, I mean, he's not done physically growing yet, uh, let alone mentally. So yeah, you can you add a couple more years add some more strength and whatnot, and you know those times are going to continue to come down. But Luke Hobson already one of the best our country and the world has to offer in the pool. We mentioned yesterday how Krista Palmer and Bailey Hager were also out there. That just speaks to Nevada's diving prowess, obviously. Bailey was representing South Africa. Krista, of course, back with Team USA. No medals for them as well, but to think that there's three, essentially three local representatives at the World Championships, I don't think a lot of regions, especially regions our size, can boast that. Yeah, we've always had it on the winter uh, Olympic size. Uh, I mean, you would see a dozen plus athletes in the Winter Olympics. You go back to last year's Summer Olympics 2021 in Tokyo we're referencing, and we did a great job as a region. You saw Gabby Williams go out and win a medal with the French uh, basketball team. You saw JaVale McGee win a gold medal, medal with Team USA. Uh, you saw Ave Luke, a former Nevada uh, soccer player who was competing for Team Australia on the soccer side. Obviously, we mentioned Krista becoming the first diver from America to win an individual championship in two decades. So it was a hugely successful. Uh, Paris Benegas, who's a BMX rider from Reed High School, she finished in four 
fourth place in her event, so just off the podium. So you are seeing more and more names from Northern Nevada get into those Summer Olympics. We obviously dominate the Winter Games with the Tahoe region and all those opportunities that they bring. But yeah, really cool to see. I think Krista probably, again, a little bit disappointed, but it also she had not been competing a lot exactly. since the last Olympics because of the hip surgery she went through. So this was kind of her tester to get her back out there and get back on the international stage. And she's also shooting for those Olympics. And then uh, Nicola Adair, who was a star track and field athlete at Nevada. She's trying to make Team Germany's roster, uh, you know, in the multi-sport events, uh, the, uh, you know, pentathlon and things of that nature. So right. her name is going to be thrown in the mix. She's actually roommates with Krista Palmer. So That's it'll be fun to track all of these athletes as they go out there to Paris and do try and bring home some uh, Olympic hardware. It is quite a list. And yeah, you mentioned Krista. I do follow her on social media. And I saw just a couple hours ago before we taped one of her first stops coming home from Japan was Archie's, where, of course, <laughs> Chris featured her Olympian breakfast burrito on our Nevada Sportsnet YouTube channel if you want to head back and see that whole feature it's pretty good stuff but it seemed like she was still encouraged about the whole experience like you said she's coming off of the hip so for her to even reach the world championships I think was was quite a feat. and she's obviously a little bit older when you look at the competitors that she's going against I mean you're talking about eight to ten years the senior of some of these divers who are just kind of coming up and breaking through the ranks that is because Krista kind of got a late start into mm -hmm. diving so the hope is is she can still find her peak form when they do get to the Paris games that she'll at least be able to qualify and have another Olympic experience and um, you know she'll have a few different options the one meter the three meter in play obviously the synchronized diving she's become very strong in that whether it's on the women's or on the mix she was in the mix this last That's year right. with Jack Ryan who's a young diver out of Stanford so he'll continue to get better as well and it takes a while for those partnerships to kind of fold together and to be on the exact same page when you are doing those synchro dives so I think she's found a really good partner and we'll see what the next 18 months holds for Krista Palmer but certainly no one will ever question her competitiveness and her ability to summon her best game in the biggest moment so everyone really pointing toward those Olympic trials, which come up not too far down the road and, and try to go overseas and, and get to have a more full Olympic experience. Right. Even talking with her at Archie's right for that interview. COVID, yeah. yeah, it was during COVID. She didn't really get to experience the Olympic Village and everything that you read about or dream about or think about when you are talking about being an Olympian. So I think just being able to go and experience that in a more fuller setting than what she got in Tokyo, I think would be great for her. And I think when all is said and done, you're probably going to see 10 to 12 local athletes in the Summer Olympics uh, in 2024 which is just quite a statement to think that we have multiple athletes to follow when it comes to this world stage. So shout out to Luke for finishing strong there at the World Championships with that fifth place finish. Coming up next on NSN Daily, we have schedule updates from both Wolfpack football and basketball, plus a Wolfpack favorite finds a new home overseas. All that and more coming up next on Daily. Welcome back to NSN Daily. The Las Vegas Raiders this week bolstering their secondary, signing the Oakland native who gets to play for his former hometown team now, Marcus Peters, the three-time Pro Bowler, 30 years old, trying to wreak some havoc now in that secondary for the black and silver, Chris. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the best to do it for a long, long time. Only one interception last year. As you mentioned, 30 years old, that's not too old. Obviously, that's one of the positions you lose a step at cornerback majorly problematic because of the speed and athleticism required to play out there on the edge, but a good addition, and you can never have 
enough good players at that cornerback position as the NFL game goes to a more modern passing mm -hmm. attack. You need guys who can cover out there in space, and Mark Peters can do that. I saw that when he signed with the Raiders, he was wearing an Oakland A's hat, which <laughs> his other hometown team is <laughs> on becoming, his way yeah. to where he's going to be playing now. So uh, sort of a second home for the Oakland native, I guess, in Las Vegas with his teams there. So Peters on the Raiders. Let's bring it back home now and talk about our local football players. Of course, the Nevada Wolfpack and a lot of coverage coming in terms of fall camp and ahead of the season as we preview the entire Mountain West Conference. But we're going to look a little further ahead because, you know, the schedule makers are always looking years ahead and there's going to be some new New blood for Nevada, which will take on Middle Tennessee State. That should be fun. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting series, 2025-26. <laughs> I was actually not too far down the road, considering a lot of these are like seven, eight years down the road. Right. It's not a big money game either way. It's $300,000 for the visiting team in both of these scenarios. Nevada had not played a Conference USA team, Middle Tennessee from Conference USA, since 2019 when they played against UTEP. They ended up winning that game. It's a very solid program. They moved up to the FBS about 20 years ago. They've made bowl games in 10 of their last 17 seasons. A lot of continuity when it comes to their coach. He's been there for more than a decade. So I would say kind of a solid addition. You do look at that 2025 home schedule non-conference-wise. That's the year that Nevada will host Middle Tennessee. The non-conference home games, Middle Tennessee and Sac State. So maybe not the biggest draws there, but I do think you want to pick one uh, bye game where you're going to play a team like USC, one FCS opponent, and then two kind of middle-of-the-road group of five schools, mm -hmm. and I think Middle Tennessee kind of fits that. Interestingly enough, uh, these two teams have never played each other. Yep. I thought maybe back in the FCS days they had run into each other. Never did. Never. So I guess from that perspective, a pretty cool opportunity to play a program you've never faced. Yeah, 2025 in Reno, 2026 in Murfreesboro. <laughs> Just felt like I had to say that as the Wolfpack heads to play Middle Tennessee State here in a few seasons. Let's go from Mackey Stadium to now inside to Lawler Event Center where John Rothstein from CBS Sports recently gave us an update on Nevada's schedule as it continues to come together. It will include this year Loyola Marymount, which will come to Reno in early December. The pack will return that trip next year in Los Angeles. Of course, they played at LMU on Nevada Sportsnet just this past season, and that was a Lions win. This is a good WCC program. Yeah, solid program. 19 wins last year. Stan Johnson, three years with the Lions, and they really have upgraded each year, so that is a program that's on the rise. Obviously not a huge attendance kind of situation, but this game, at least this upcoming year, will be at Lawler Events. And I like these home-and-home -home series as well because it does kind of firm up your schedule moving forward. This maybe isn't your big Pac-12 or, or, you know, power conference opponent. Um, but this is how you build your resume is by playing top 75 caliber teams. You look at Nevada's non-conference schedule this year, it is a lot of mid-major West Coast based teams. So this kind of fits that mold. And you should see the full schedule maybe in the next week or two because it's more or less been put together. The big marquee game is a game at Washington. Obviously they play uh, over in uh, a tournament in Hawaii. There's a couple right. of big names there, including TCU. So we'll see how when it's all said and done, how the schedule shakes out. I know a lot of fans are looking at it and they're not seeing a lot of marquee opponents, but you look at Steve Alford's staff, they've been able to put together really good strength of schedules despite maybe not having your marquee opponents. So if they're able to do that again, I think that's huge. I think this is a year where Nevada could legitimately be an NCAA tournament at large. If you're going to be an at large, you need some quality non-conference wins. We'll see if Loyola Marymount is as good as they were last year when they were a top 75 caliber team. That's the thing. Don't sleep on the Lions because, of course, Nevada went there last year and left 
with an L in a game we had on NSN, so maybe revenge served up come early December inside Lawler Event Center. As for someone who splashed a lot of three-pointers inside Lawler Event Center, he has been doing so as a professional over in Italy, and Jazz Johnson is going to keep his talents there, but he's switching teams, Chris, to uh, Real Sebastiani Rietti. I hope I didn't mess that up, but shout out to Jazz as he has found a real home there in Italy. About an hour north of Rome, so about 75 miles. Actually, Kobe Bryant spent some time there in his childhood as his dad was playing in Italy after his NBA career wrapped up. Jazz Johnson last year at Serie A2. That's the second level of Italian basketball. Number two in the league in scoring. More than 20 points per game. Shot 44% from three. We obviously know he can really shoot it. I think he was hoping, and even stopped by our studio a couple of months ago, to bump up to that Serie A level. That's where he began his Italian career. Last couple years he's played at the second division as you see not quite as prestigious but you can make really good money and it seems like he's found a home in Italy. This will be his fourth Italian team. He's stayed there for four years after wrapping up his career here at Nevada. A lot of times you got to jump from country to country. He's been able to find a home and maybe it'll be a little bit more comfortable there. Create a name in Italy in terms of what he can bring your team. So uh, he's uh, wrapped up his deal and uh, he'll be heading over to the boot uh, sooner rather than later. And as Chris mentioned, Jazz was in studio. Yeah, I guess it has been a couple months now, which is kind of hard to think about. But yeah, we do have our full chat with Jazz, talking his off, uh, overseas experiences, professional experiences, and what Nevada meant to him. Of course, you can see that at NevadaSportsNet.com. But you said it. It sounds like he's got a good, a good amount of fans over there, which I'm sure his previous team is going to be bummed to see him leave because now he'll be suddenly become a rival. But um, he, may, he, he made a comment that he kind of randomly did like a, hey, meet me at this park and we'll play over in Italy. And it sounded like there was just a bunch of people because they kind of made it more organized. And he realized like, man, I have a little influence over here. So yeah. a lot of times when these players go overseas, I think it's a really hard adjustment for them, especially if they didn't grow up in that kind of living atmosphere where they're yeah, moving around, sure. right? Um, and so it seems like it's been an easy adjust, easier adjustment for him. There's pros and cons to going overseas. You get paid way more. If you're playing in the G League versus you're playing overseas, right. overseas is going to get you more money if they pay you. And that's always a question mark as well. Some of these places, they're not necessarily going to pay you. I think Jazz has found a nice niche in Italy. You can make six figures even if you are at the second division level. Obviously, there are limited roster spots for Americans. That's why it's a little bit harder to get up to that top level in Italy. Um, you know, speaking with Jazz even after your conversation with him, he was talking about how much he really did love Italy and that's a place that he's very comfortable. Um, like I said, some people want to skip from one country to the next, experience something different. Maybe go to Greece, go to France, maybe go to China and see what that's like. I feel like if you know you have a good niche in a spot, you can go play 10, 15 years yep. and make maybe $2 million playing hoops overseas if you get a really good reputation. So it seems like he's been able to cultivate that and obviously uh, there's at least one team over there that likes him and wants to bring him into the fold. If you're giving your team 20 points per game, I don't care what level, you are very valuable player. Um, for him being under six feet, too hard over height, for him to have a professional career is pretty special. And of course, everybody loved him in Reno. And so no surprise that uh, they love him over there in Italy. You were talking about getting paid. Jalen Brown <laughs> does not have a problem with that because the big news in national sports today will be that Supermax extension reportedly agreed to by the Celtics superstar. How about five years? $304 million. The richest contract in NBA history. Chris, I was looking at the 28-29 season when this thing wraps up. He's going to get paid $69 million wow. to play 80 
two 82 basketball games. Not bad for a guy who can't go left. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's, the, <laughs> that's the old joke is he doesn't have a left hand either. That's the so. big rap on him. So I think to earn that 69 million, got to learn how to go left. We're going right, we're going right, we're going that's right. That's a lot we're of right, right hand We're going right to step there. back. That's all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Celtics had to keep him, right? You yeah. can't just let him go for nothing. Uh, he's one of their franchise uh, building blocks. It's him and it's Jason Tatum. And they've gotten close. They've not gotten over the hump, but they're not going to get that caliber of player anywhere else in free agency. And that's just kind of the, the thing, like when you look at NFL quarterbacks, the highest paid guy is the most recent guy to sign. And that's going to be the future of the NBA. They've really been able to do a good job of getting their even share of all of the revenue created in the NBA. That revenue continues to grow and grow and grow. This is a max player, even though he maybe didn't have the best playoff performance. This is a guy who's a top 25 player in the game. Certainly not the best player in the game, but he is going to be paid as the richest guy in the game. So it'll be interesting to see if that tandem of Tatum and Brown can actually lead the Celtics to an NBA championship. They got to the title game a couple years ago. Last year, Game 7 against the Eastern Conference Final, Miami Heat didn't get it done. But these are young guys, and they should continue to get better. We'll have to see that window. They've had a pretty big window, and it's slowly closing, but still uh, plenty of time to get it done if you're the Boston Celtics as they get the contract done with Jalen Brown. I saw that a couple of his teammates had tried to FaceTime him today, and he was, like, not available. Gave uh -huh. him, like, the Jalen Brown is not available. And they're like, oh, okay, so this is what happens when you get the big deal. Now a you're not going to Average salary in the NBA this upcoming year, $12 million per player. Man, that's a lot of money. Well, I remember when Mike Conley got five years, one fifty or something like that, and everybody was People like, "What the crazy. heck? You're giving Mike Conley 150 million, and now look at Jalen I mean, Brown doubling that number." Yeah, Dylan Brooks getting 20 million dollars a year, four years, 80 million from the Rockets, and he kind of made a fool of himself in the playoffs. Uh, you know, there's a lot of money in pro sports, yeah. and a lot of time it's constricted by the owners. The NBA is interesting because you get a certain amount of the revenue created in the league. That's what the CBA says. So if you continue to have like these in-season tournaments, that should raise more money. That means more money to player salaries. That's probably why the players are on board with this tournament, even though I don't think anybody's overly thrilled yeah. or that big on it. But if it puts more money in the bank account, it works. That's the name of the game when you get to the NBA level, although it's sort of the name of the game at the college level now, too, as there are plenty, there's plenty of money to be made if you're a prominent college athlete. This next story is about one of those young men, but unfortunately it's an unfortunate story as Bronny James, the son of LeBron James, reportedly, actually it was confirmed by, uh, by LeBron and his wife, suffered cardiac arrest yesterday while practicing ahead of his freshman season with USC, ended up in the hospital in the ICU. He has since been removed from the ICU. Reports are that he is in stable condition, but this has uh, sent a lot of reaction from fans and everybody else about Bronny's status, and this is obviously scary and it's something we also see especially in men's college basketball yeah I mean it's super scary I mean you think of Hank Gathers and I was pretty young for that but to see a star player uh, basically pass out uh, you see the Reggie Lewis situation as well so I'm um, very thankful that he's out of the ICU and things seem to be trending up but I'm sure he's going to go through a battery of tests to make sure that his health and his heart are in a situation where he can play college yeah. basketball to be able to have the game ripped away from you right when you're going to start college would be super painful but not as painful as actually losing a player I know the physicals here at Nevada are very very strict before you can even step on the court so I'm sure USC will do its due diligence but really good to hear that Bronny seems to be doing better after what happened yesterday I can attest to those Nevada physicals because when I was a freshman I think it was 2008 I actually tried out for the Nevada basketball <laughs> team. Mark Fox was doing open tryouts. None of us were selected, oh, I'm no. sad to report. But we all had to go get physicals before. And okay. I remember it being like pretty exhaustive and an EKG and 
shaking out my knees and my limbs and everything to make sure I wasn't going to get hurt or anything. So um, yeah, I can attest to that uh, physical process down there at the university, even though it was, you know, <clears throat> 15 years ago, of course. So, all right, coming up next here on NSN Daily, we're diving into Chris Murray's mailbag. Was it a good week in the mailbag? It was a good week. We got about uh, 25, 30 questions. So you like 25, 30 questions. Not enough time for that on the show, so we'll give you a handful of them coming up next on NSN Daily. This segment sponsored by Laub and Laub. Welcome back to NSN Daily. We are in the Legends Bay Lounge, powered by Circa Sports, because it is time to dive into Chris Murray's mailbag. If you don't know, Chris takes your questions on Sunday, puts them in the Monday mailbag at NevadaSportsNet.com, and then here on NSN Daily, we talk about it Tuesday. As you mentioned earlier, 25 to 30 questions. We don't have time for that on this edition, so we've picked out four of them. We start with Quinn Lightfoot, a fixture in the mailbag. What group of five school will be playing in a New Year's Six Bowl this season? It's a good question because you see some of the better teams in the group of five in recent years, your Cincinnati's, your Houston's, your UCF's, your BYU, they all are joining the Big 12 for this season. So there's been nine iterations of the New Year's Six. Five of the group of five uh, participants uh, are those teams I just mentioned. So I think there is kind of a void on who's going to step up and take the spot that Cincinnati or UCF usually fill. Last year it was Tulane, which made it to the Cotton Bowl and beat USC. Uh -huh. I think they're still the favorites to grab that spot. Ten starters back, their head coach Willie Fritz back, their star quarterback Michael Pratt, who's getting some Heisman buzz back. But I do think right below them, Boise State would be my number two team, UTSA from San Antonio, my number three team. They've won 30 games over the last three years. And then Air Force right below them, Liberty, Western Kentucky, Coastal Carolina. They're in the mix as well, but it has been since 2014 that a Mountain West team has made it to a New Year's Six Bowl and Boise State played in the Fiesta Bowl. A lot of money associated if you can get into that New Year's Six Bowl slot. It is the top group of five champions. So I think I would say 50% the winner of the American Athletic uh, and then 30% the winner of the Mountain West. I do think Boise State has a legitimate shot. They do have a pretty hard non-conference schedule, including a game against Washington and UCF. I think if they're able to win one of those two, I think they put themselves in a really good spot to get back to a New Year's Six Bowl. Okay, it would be nice to not see that streak go past a decade when yes. you're talking Mountain West schools, not in the New Year's Six. Yes. So Boise State, Air Force, we'll see yeah. if they can make and some And even noise. more important, the following year, because that'll be the 12-team playoff The mold. next year, yeah. So then the top group of five champion will then get into the playoffs. So I think if they can set that standard that they're still one of the better group of fives out there, I think that'd be a really good sign this year. Okay. Next question, John Johnson. He wants Chris. This is good. Pick the best realignment schools in football, basketball, and baseball for the Mountain West. So this is your wish list, essentially? Or and what? I think it's interesting because it's not the full athletic department. If you could just pluck the best football school and put it in the Mountain West, I'd go North Dakota State. They obviously have been fantastic at the FCS level. They've won championship after championship. I think they'd be a really good fit in the Mountain West. Yeah, you're going a little far east there, but that'd be my football team pick. Right behind them, i go Montana State. In terms of basketball, obviously everybody would like to say Gonzaga, but realistically, I think St. Mary's would be a good ad. It's right there on the West Coast. It's very uh, good travel. And as long as Randy Bennett is their head coach, they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. And then on the baseball side, it was really between two schools. It was Long Beach State or UC Irvine. Both have been really good powers. I think getting a very good team in the Los Angeles area would be very big for the Mount West because I think you can recruit Southern California even better if you have a team in L.A. And Long Beach State has been one of the better programs on the West Coast for the last 20, 30 years so if all those joined and made one athletic department I think that'd be a really nice ad for the Mountain West but how, how I don't cool I don't be? think they're adding anybody unless they lose multiple schools we'll see if San Diego State and Boise State were to jump 
then they've got to figure out some schools. But have we seen, it's hard to get a power conference invitation. San Diego State's been begging for that for a couple years now. That's right. And I remember as I was wrapping up my time in Spokane covering Gonzaga, there was chatter would have been uh, 2018 mm -hmm. about Gonzaga flirting with the Mountain West. And it felt like it had some real traction that it might actually happen. And I was thinking, man, this team I'm covering now might go play the team that I used to cover and the, the school I used to attend. That would be pretty sweet. Did not end up coming to fruition. And I think over there in Spokane, we were speculating that, you know, Mark Few was playing hardball a little bit with the WCC, sure. which at that point was led by current Mountain West Commissioner Gloria Navarez. And of course, the WCC ends up restructuring its conference tournament to sort of make way for Gonzaga and St. Mary's to kind of get to skip the first couple rounds of that. But needless to say, they've always kind of dangled that Gonzaga to the Mountain West yeah. thing, and it's probably not going to happen. Probably not <laughs> going to happen. I think Gonzaga even got bigger shares of their NCAA tournament units That's as well. Right. So I remember talking with Navarez, and she said, they could even maybe do that in the Mountain West if it keeps schools in a little bit longer. But yeah, everybody would love to see Gonzaga in their basketball conference. They're a great team. They're a top five team year in and year out. Probably just not happen. It seems like they like their fit in the WCC. Yeah, they kind of run that conference. And it's always fun when they get together with St. Mary's too. All right, Nick Durst wants to know, do you think UCLA or USC will win the Pac-12 title in football as it is their final year as a member, that would be a way to go out. Yeah, I think USC does win the Pac-12, but it's no slam dunk. I mean, Utah won it last year. They beat USC up in the Pac-12 championship game. I think Washington's a very trendy college football championship kind of team. I think Oregon is always a team that's going to be in that CFP mix as well. So I think just generally the Pac-12 looks very, very solid. I think UCLA is going to be very strong. They have a true freshman, Dante Moore, quarterback, top five recruit in the nation. He's going to start as a true freshman. So uh, Oregon State has really upgraded its team. I think that's six or seven teams that are very strong in the Pac-12 and even the bottom of the conference is better. Arizona is not quite a laughing stock. I think Troy Taylor, the former head coach uh, at Sac State, is going to do a good job at Stanford. And then obviously you got Coach Prime. Deion Sanders at Colorado. Same thing. Top to bottom, the Pac-12 has kind of been overlooked as a power conference when it comes to football. Certainly, they're going to have a huge loss when they lose USC and yeah. UCLA after this year to the Big Ten. But I do think Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, I think they win the Pac-12. I think they get to the college football playoff. Nevada has a chance to spoil those efforts in week <laughs> one. We'll see what happens yeah, to we'll pack see. a 38-point uh, underdog. Should be a fun one, though. All right, last question. Tattooed Mormon lawyer, also a fixture in the mailbag. When going to amusement parks... Do you go multiple days with a regular pass and just wait in line, or do you go one day with that lightning lane or that fast pass? This strategy involved here. Uh, there is strategy. <laughs> we went to Disneyland uh, December 2020, January 2021. So we did go three days. So we did the multiple days, but we also got the Genie Plus because I cannot stand in lines. Yeah. I'm not good at standing in lines, and I also got kids who are not good at standing in lines. So <laughs> I do the combination of the both because we, we're not the Disneyland family that goes like three or four times a year. It's more like once every four or five years. Okay. So we don't want to be standing in line so we Sports do the splurging. combination I, I like amusement parks so six flags over in vallejo we've gone there pretty recently so uh good times and disneyland you definitely need the genie plus because those lines can be crazy i will say that getting through lines is made more bearable if you first stop at the spy shop and you get one of those dollar snatchers and then you just start messing with people in line <laughs> that has been my mo since i was a teenager and i am not ashamed to admit i still do it as a man in his 30s because it is fun and it gets you through the line a little faster when you're snatching up dollars from unsuspecting people i'm just i might be going uh, somewhere i don't want to go all right coming up next on nsn daily we're going to go back to the barracuda championship chris has compiled a list of all 23 winners in the 25-year history of that event, and we're going to rank them. That's coming up next on Daily.
Welcome back to NSN Daily from our Champion Chevrolet studio. He's Chris. I'm Mike. Happy to have you with us on this Tuesday as we wrap a bow on the Barracuda Championship, year 25, finishing up Sunday over there at Old Greenwood. I want to go back to last Friday's NSN Daily that we broadcasted from Truckee. I inexplicably said that there had never been a two-time or a back-to-back -back champion at the Barracuda. Both of those lies. I didn't look at the list closely enough, so I apologize. But J.J. Henry has won it twice. Bon Taylor won it back-to-back years so 25 editions of the tournament 23 total Champions. winners and the most recent one of course Akshay Batia 21 years young his first ever PGA Tour win Chris decided hey I want to look at those 23 winners and I want to rank them based on their careers and how that all shaped up so let's start with Akshay Chris who uh, has catapulted his career there in Truckee so 23 on the list he is number 20 obviously very young in his career 21 years old the youngest ever winner of this tournament this is only his 36 PGA Tour start so he hasn't really filled out the resume like a lot of the others on this list so he is the 20th best golfer to ever win this tournament according to my rankings <laughs> the most impressive thing I saw him listed at six foot 130 pounds and that is crazy to me 130 pounds Six foot one. I don't know Not if that's a lot possible. of meat on that body. Uh, and I think also the second lefty to ever win the tournament, Greg Chalmers from Australia, also won as a lefty. When Greg won, he was only the 12th lefty to ever win a PJ Tour event. So oh it doesn't gosh. actually happen all that often, although we did see a British Open lefty winner as well. And that was the first time in the history of the tour that two lefties win mm -hmm. on the same day. So a little bit of history made there at Royal Liverpool and the Barracuda at the same dang time. As you mentioned, though, Akshay with plenty of time to rise up that list, which you can see at NevadaSportsNet.com. We're going to give you the top five from here on out, starting with year two of this event, back when it was the Reno Tahoe Open, and at Montreux, Scott Verplank. Yeah, Scott Verplank, he's a five-time PGA Tour champion. He actually finished top ten in every major event, so the PGA Championship, Masters, British Open, U.S. Open, had seven top ten major finishes in his career, won just shy of $28 million, so the fifth best golfer to ever win the Reno Tahoe Open slash Barracuda Championship. I'll take number five and 28 million all day long. <laughs> number four was the next year, 2001. It was John Cook claiming that Reno Tahoe Open hardware. Yeah, really, really good player. He had 11 PGA Tour championship, uh, 11 PGA Tour wins. That's the most of anybody who has won the Barracuda Championship. So a uh, very good career, rose to number seven in the world, was on a Ryder Cup team. Um, in 2001, won the Reno Tahoe Open. That was his last of his 11 PGA Tour wins. Also finished runner-up at two majors, the 1992 to British Open and PGA Championship. Never won a major championship, but was always in contention at majors. And obviously then made a bunch of money as well. Again, 2001, that was. Number three, you jumped to 2013, which was the last year of the Reno Tahoe Open before it became the Barracuda, and Gary Woodland won it all. Yeah, he actually ended up then winning a U.S. Open. This was kind of his first foray onto the national scene, won the 2019 U.S. Open, uh, ranked as high as number 12 in the world, right. four PGA Tour titles in his career, and $33 million in career earnings. So uh, this was really uh, a tournament that helped get him to that next level and then became one of three uh, people to ever win this tournament that also won a major championship. I think I need to get my daughter some legit golf clubs <laughs> as she approaches three with the amount of money up for grabs. Okay, your number two Barracuda championship winner came the next year and it was the first year of the Barracuda, Jeff Ogilvie. 
Yeah, one, uh, one of the three that we mentioned that won a major championship, he did so in 2006 at the U.S. Open, so he ended up winning the Barracuda eight years after that. That was his last and most recent win of eight PGA Tour victories. Was actually out at the tournament this year and did end up making the cut. Ranked as high as number three in the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, very, very strong career for Jeff Ogilvy, one of three foreign-born winners to win the Barracuda as well. Wow, and nobody has springboarded their career off of the Barracuda more than the number one ranked champion on Chris's list and probably, you know, objectively true. Colin Morikawa got it done in 2019, and he has only catapulted since then. Yeah, he had just been straight out of Cal, ended up winning in 2019. His first PGA uh, Tour victories at five victories total, including the 2020 PGA Championship, 2021 British Open. So he's won two majors, the only winner of the Barracuda to win two major championships. He's made 95 starts on tour. He's either finished in first or second place in 12 of those. Almost 15% of the wow. times he has started a PGA Tour event, he's become first or second place. So, uh, you know, he's going to go, go down as probably, I think, the best to ever win this tournament. Certainly holds that distinction now. But this is a guy who could end up with six, seven majors when all of a sudden that only 26 years old. Yeah, still super young and so much great golf ahead of him. But again, that first PGA Tour win, you don't get another first one. And he got it done at the Barracuda. NSN was there as we jump in our Nevada Sportsnet time machine. Here's a little bit of the chat Alex Margulies had with Colin after that 2019 win. It's a great feeling. I mean, it's kind of, we've been close the past month or so. Um, I've had chances, but to finally close it off, you know, and it's not easy to finally get these three birdies. Uh, it just means a lot. It's really special. We talked on Tuesday and, you know, you've come so close, finishing tied for second, tied for fourth, and now you finally get it done. You win your first PGA Tour event. How special is this? Oh, it's going to go wonders. I mean, it's going to just open so many gates for me and just, you know, a lot of confidence moving forward. Um, obviously, this is a big goal of mine, especially the past, or these last two weeks, just to get into the playoffs. Um, so it's going to be special. It's going to, you know, now we're going to make something out of the season and see what we can do. What was your mindset going into those last five holes, knowing that you really needed to finish strong and, and pick up a couple birdies? Yeah, you know, it's all points out here. You make one, two birdies, you move up a lot on the leaderboard. Um, and, you know, the guys behind me, they weren't going to let up. So I, I knew I had to make birdies, and I had a good shot on 16. Um, hole 13 and hole 15, I just got out of my rhythm. Didn't trust myself, so decided to just do what I've been doing, hit some cuts, and, you know, some putts kind of dropped. Were you sweating there on 18, a chance for an eagle again? It happened to you a couple weeks ago. You saw your first wind slip away. <laughs> uh, were you a little nervous out there? Yeah, no, I know. I was definitely a little nervous on my uh, eagle putt. Um, I, it was a tough putt. You know, I could have chipped it, but I, I felt, you know, everything downhill, down grain. Just had to get some good speed. Uh, Move the opposite direction of what I thought, but, you know, obviously having good speed, gave myself a little three-footer to knock in. Um, but it wasn't over, you know. Troy Merritt still had a shot at the win, and uh, that's what's cool about this format. You know, it's, it's not like anywhere else where, you know, you know pretty much if you got it or not. Um, out here, it's, you know, a lot of points can be made up in a quick amount of time. We love that modified stable bird <laughs> scoring system as it allows them to be more aggressive. That's the buzzword you hear every year at the Barracuda Championship. All right, so from some of the best men's professionals to do it in the Reno Tahoe region to the next up and comers on the ladies side. How about a shout out to these Nevada junior golfers who are playing in the Girls Junior America's Cup. They teed off today in British Columbia, Canada. Shout out to Ella Rawson, Gianna Zinke, Ashley Tarkanian and Raya Montoya who are representing Northern Nevada at this wide ranging nationwide 
tournament, Chris. We love the young golfers on the show. And that's super cool to be able to go play international golf at such a young age. We know the Nevada women's basketball team is going to be going up there to British Columbia, not too far that's down right. the road. But to be able to get that experience and you know tee it up against some of the best golfers in Northern America, not something you'd expect before you graduate high school, but they've been able to do. And the boys tournament is coming up next week. And would you believe that Boys Junior America's Club Cup will take place at Red Hawk. So it's in our backyard. It's the first time in 20 years that this event has been held in Northern Nevada. So we are looking forward to getting out to Red Hawk next week and checking in with the boys juniors that are representing Northern Nevada. Maybe they can teach me a thing or two because I got a pretty bad slice. All right, coming up next here on NSN Daily, it's time for our Nevada Sportsnet Poll of the Week. And this is a nice, juicy one. Who's the best player to ever suit up for Wolfpack football? It's a loaded question. We have your responses next on NSN Daily. This segment sponsored by Bill Pierce Motors. Welcome back to Daily. Chris and Mike still hanging out in the Legends Bay Lounge, powered by Circus Sports. It's time now for our NSN Poll of the Week. If you didn't know, we put up a poll question every Monday morning. That poll closes Tuesday morning, and then we talk about it here on NSN Daily. And this is a good one, Chris. We asked you, who is the best player in Wolfpack football history Slight recency bias here, Chris, as we see Colin Kaepernick garnering 58% of the votes. Coming in number two, the great Marion Motley with 18.8%. Then you see Joel Batonio, 17%. Charles Mann, who actually I needed to be enlightened about a little <laughs> bit because I wasn't in the know. He gets 6%. We'll go through in order. I guess it's, you can't really make a huge argument against Cap. No, I mean, he was uh, a phenomenal college football player. Uh, the only player in NCAA history with 10,000 passing yards, 4,000 rushing yards, obviously getting Nevada to number 11 in the country in 2010 was historic. And he's also one of only three Wolfpack quarterbacks ever start an NFL game. Bill yep. McCready's and Stan Heath back in the 1940s. And obviously Cap was one play away from winning a Super Bowl as a starting quarterback for the 49ers. So easy to make him the selection given what he did in the FBS era as well, which I think is even more highly difficult. So, uh, yeah, phenomenal player and uh, certainly won the pick in the landslide. I felt very fortunate that I was at school at the same time <laughs> as Cap. When I meet people and I say I went to Nevada, I always say I was there when Cap was there because that nice. was when it was really, really fun. Number two, Marion Motley. A lot of write-in votes saying it's Motley, no question. Yeah, I mean, he was the player who broke the uh, color barrier for professional football with a couple of other players as well. So played for Nevada in the 1940s. Uh, did a lot of great work with the Cleveland Browns back in the AAFL years. But even in the NFL years, you look at his 5.7 yards per carry. That is the most for a running back in NFL history wow. still holds up number one in the Pro Football Hall of Fame the only player from Nevada to do that and then also uh, you know in the top 75 players in NFL history list that came out a couple of years ago and maybe joining him soon in the Hall of Fame another guy playing for the Cleveland Browns and his legacy only continues to grow here in Reno Joel Batonio so he was actually my pick he's a five-time AP All-Pro three on the second team two on the first team he's the best offensive guard on the left side in the NFL and like you said I think he's going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame one day I think he has to get three or four more AP All-Pro seasons under his belt if he does that he will be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame which is incredible considering he had only two FBS scholarship offers from here and also from San Jose State. We'd love to see it, and we know how much Nevada and that opportunity means to him. Case in point, that million-dollar donation he and his wife gave to the Wolfpack just earlier 
this year. We finish up with 6% of the vote going to Charles Mann. I admittedly had to look him up today. <laughs> sure enough, boy's got three Super Bowl rings. Three Super Bowl rings and 83 sacks in his career. Also a four-time Pro Bowler. So one of the great defensive players in program history. The only defensive player on this list. So a little bit of respect for Charles Mann. Didn't quite make the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but right on the fringe there. He was one of the best defensive players in the 1990s. Won two Super Bowls with Washington, one with San Francisco. Tell you what, Nevada's done pretty well when you talk about the gridiron. That is your NSN poll of the week. And coming up on coming up next on NSN Daily, we're gonna wrap a bow on this Tuesday show with a little World Cup highlights. Let's do it next. World Cup action. How about one of the host teams, New Zealand, going down to one of the first teams to play in the World Cup? I think there's eight first-time World Cup countries this year, the Philippines being one of them, and it is a 1-0 win over New Zealand. Chris, your wife is from the Philippines. Is yep. she just is she thinking that they're going to come for uh, Team USA's yeah, she title? Was born here? in the Philippines. I wouldn't <laughs> say we necessarily have Filipino fever when it comes to the World <laughs> Cup. But super cool to see, and you have seen a closing of the gap between the top teams on the world side and the lesser teams. You're seeing much closer games. You're seeing teams like the Philippines kind of emerge out of nowhere. And I think you got to give a lot of credit to Team USA because they've set such a high standard. You've seen more investment in other countries on the women's side because you can see that there is a lot of interest. There's a lot of popularity. So you're seeing a closing of the gap and congratulations to the Philippines. Uh, my mother-in-law is actually flying in from the Philippines next week, so I'll ask her about the fever. They should still be playing. You might get to watch a match there with her. Go. All right, we wrap up this uh, edition of NSN Daily to give kudos to John Polson, Damani Ranch's only baseball coach, stepping down 20 epic years leading the Mustangs. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible to know that he's the only one to lead that program in its history. Had a couple of sons come through the program. Last year, they made it to the state tournament for the second time. More than 300 wins in his career. Top 10 among Northern Nevada coaches all time. Congrats on a great run, coach. We're going to try to get him in here. Yeah. See if that works out. All right, we'll see you tomorrow on NSN Daily.